0: listening to Manufactured with Kim von der Weert and Jesse Lee, a podcast about sustainability and the making of fashion. Join us every week
1: in conversation with the people who manufacture what we wear.
0: Thanks to our collaboration with GIZ Fabric. Our episode this week is a conversation with Herman Lern, Head of Operations for Dakota Group. The Fabric Project is commissioned by the German Federal Ministry for Economic Cooperation and Development and supports the Asian textile industry in its transformation towards fair production for people and the environment.
1: Dakota Group is a manufacturing company headquartered in Hong Kong, but producing across China, Cambodia and Myanmar. Herman starts off by sharing a bit about the history of Dakota Group, their size, their scale, the type of production that they do. But he's clearly a big thinker, someone who likes to reimagine what this industry might look like, someone who feels passionately
0: about making sure that his kids inherit a better world. Herman gets candid about how he balances his duty to safeguard the financial health of the company, profitability, with longer-term goals, and how the company's ownership structure supports him in this balancing act. He shares a bit about what he thinks it would take
1: for various supply chain actors to avoid the quote-unquote prisoners' dilemma and to put long-term collective goals above short-term individual gains, whether that's between brands and
0: suppliers or between factory management and workers. And he shares his take on the deflationary prices manufacturers are up against and what suppliers must do to ensure they continue to reinvent the ways they add value. We also want to highlight that GIZ Fabric has a great online seminar series called Getting Through the Crisis Together, Asian Dialogue on Sustainability in the Textile and Garment Industry. Herman was a speaker on both the first and the tenth seminar within this series. All the seminars are free and available online, and we highly recommend checking them out. If you are on Instagram, please follow us to grow the conversation at Manufactured and Podcast. Or
1: sign up to our weekly newsletter instead on our website, www.manufacturedpodcast.com to find out what we're reading, what we're thinking, and what we're wishing.
0: If you'd like to support us financially, you can make a Patreon donation for our homepage.
1: To find out more about the GIZ Fabric Project and the seminar series, Getting Through the Crisis Together, Asian Dialogues on Sustainability in the Textile and Garment Industry, check out the links we've
0: put in our show notes. And finally, don't forget to leave us a rating on iTunes and hit subscribe.
1: Why don't we start uh, with just a, a, a brief introduction, both about the Dakota group, uh, what Dakota is, where you're, where you're producing, what you're producing, as well as your role within Dakota.
2: All right. So we are manufacturers for Carmen. Uh, we are Hong Kong company, so um, the company started more like 40 years already. So back to the days is like 70s, 80s Hong Kong when the founders they started the company, started local very local factories in Hong Kong, and then uh, when when the China's policy getting more open, they moved the factories to China and developed. and then at year 2000. We um, start our first footprint in Cambodia. So, and then on 2016, I think it's like more like four years ago, four to five years ago, something like we start uh, our expansion in Myanmar as well. So um, we are original, uh, I mean OEM and ODM uh, company. So mainly for the cut and sewn process. And also we have uh, vertical fabric mills in Cambodia. So um, in worldwide, we have now like 12,000 workers. And then um, basically the company runs through these decades. And then um, for me, I'm the head of operations of Dakota. So I joined the company uh, almost like 12 years right now. And then um, basically my functions um, are leading all these operations functions like productions, logistics, um, quality team, and sustainability team, our IT team, and also the HR and I mean as well. So um, being through all these <laughs> um, years, so uh, well, we grow with together with the company, yeah. Yeah, I mean, just
1: having managed... A factory with only 100 people i just can't even imagine what goes into your job i mean i have so much respect and
2: admiration <laughs> you get used to <laughs> and and when the time we start i joined the company we almost we only have 500 workers in cambodia so probably easy time so but uh Phil, for the last decade we expanded <laughs> so so quickly. I know
1: that Dakota's vertical integration in Cambodia is pretty unparalleled. I mean, that I know of, at least. I don't think there's anyone else attempting to make fabric in Cambodia. One of the things that you said in the very first GIZ seminar that you participated in, you talked about game theory and getting beyond you know, a, a situation where individual actors within the fashion industry are out to only protect themselves. And it really caught my attention. Um, and uh, Jesse and I were really curious to know a little bit more about this statement and what your thoughts behind it are.
2: Yeah. Uh, so I would think, so personal dilemma, um, basically is a standard example in a game theory. That shows why to to probably completely uh, rational individuals that might not com- cooperate, even though it appears that um, it is in their best interest to do so. For example, you can name it like buyer and sellers or manufacturers to, to the laborers. You can see some um, examples during the COVID. For example, like um, the manufacturers. I mean, you can see that they immediately laid off a lot of workers to stop the the basically the financial outgoing. Or 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 a manufacturer's so they could easy easily, for example, stop the, the payment for their fabric mills So because the pandemic, because the clients is can, cancelling orders. So the chain effect, the butterfly effect, ripple effects happening all around the value chains, if people all the people think the same. So we destroy all the value chain because the the chain a lack of liquidity. Two prisoners, they if they are able to communicate, if there are a third party, a strong third party to regulate the market, to tell everybody, to ask everybody to cooperate, that then the 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 problem will, will will automatically solve.
1: So for you the solution is is a it- Government regulation—is that kind of what you mean?
2: I think it's, um, you could say government regulations is a very important, case, a important support. Plus, um, the the uh, I mean, a strong party communications or a, a public awareness of the of 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 the the chaos is happening or this, and then people will start to think about this.
1: So let's get into the details. I mean in 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 our earlier conversation you mentioned that there are positions within the supply chain that specifically are worthy of our attention when it comes to you know overcoming the prioritization of individual interests over collective goals and not destroying the whole supply chain, the whole ecosystem, which of those positions do you think are important to look at? And could you describe what you think the incentives are for these positions now, as well as how they might, you know, how you, how you would see them potentially changing?
2: Yeah, you can say a CEO, COO, CFO. So these chief officers, they are making critical decisions right there. But in in this economy, capitalism, right, profit oriented, the these chief level people, they are responsible for this financial result. Um, they are responsible for for the for the return of the investments of these shareholders. So. So you can see that, that the first priority, it is always about profitability, financial performance, and probably a very short-term result. And and you will see that they have quarterly results and maybe yearly results. And then if if we have to to look into to, to keep our positions, to keep our self-interest, we have to bring profitability. We have to bring this performance. So that's why, I mean, it's not only in our garment industry. It's not only in fashions globally. Under capitalism, you have to play these rules. The game, the rules of the games, is like this. And if if we have, we want to change. If you want to look it into, like long term benefit to sacrifice short term interest, that is something we have to ask ourselves. Is is this? we would talk about sustainability. Is this something short-term or long-term? And how does it uh, get along with today our capitalism? That is, uh, I mean, it's a, always a question. Short-term good, <laughs> long-term bad. Long-term bad, short-term good, right?
0: Sometimes yeah. I think there is a conflict yeah. between work ethics and uh, collective good. For instance, as you said, as a CEO, COO, CFO, especially CFO, their work ethics will require them to put the company um, profits or promptly short-term profits as the first thing to consider, basically finance security. So they have to be responsible to the financial security. And their obligations to their shareholders. Yes. And then, so during yeah. pandemic, maybe the first reaction is to lay off people and delay the payment to their suppliers and so on. But that in uh even no need to be in a long term good, but just in a medium could right away immediately it will hurt the um health of the whole supply chain. So this is the conflict between what your job requires you to do, conflicted with the uh, long term um collective good. So on that point, I'm thinking, do you yeah. think Herman that um. If there is an industrial association, would that could help to ease this conflict? Like industrial association to put all the big guys together and find out a way to kind of not satisfy, but kind of not hurt the individual companies' interest too much, but also benefit sort of medium-term or long-term collective good?
2: Mm. Um. To me, it is always about the balance, the art of the the balance. If if we look at our maybe we go a little bit further on sustainability on our climate change. If we look at uh the, the what is that the the carbon dioxide level compared to to I mean it's not about decades, maybe hundred, a thousand million years ago and these these few hundred years climbing up to to a very, very um, richest level so which means there's something wrong right here there is so to balance on this we have to rethink the process rethink our 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 theory our way of working now a lot of big giant companies they try to sh- uh, swift part of their interest to sustainability some companies they have this intention but and we still still need more parties come to help, like the the campaigners, um the third party, industrial um associations or government, United nations. these are not profit-oriented uh parties, stakeholders, to come come to the, come to the to the party to to balance the 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 world that we are driving to.
1: I'm I'm curious Herman more specific to Dakota. I mean when you talk about the lead, you know CEOs and COOs and CFOs sort of having to strike this balance between on the one hand the world we live in now and everything that that means in terms of short-term obligations to shareholders or obligations to shareholders defined in a very narrow and particular way and then on the other hand, these long-term collective goals. I mean, how do you balance that at Dakota?
2: Part of my duty is to also to drive profitability, to drive better efficiency, to drive a lower-cost products. These are a are, are job-born are duties, you know, for Dakota. As we started to realize that. Um, of course, our core value. What What are our core value? Our core value. Our Our company. Our core value is to do the right things. So, um, among the years, our finders, So they develop very slowly because I think, of course, they keep making mistakes, but we keep correcting our 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 mistakes. See, uh, what we have done in in our past. We how many workers we have built, um, how many schools we have built and, and, and also the climate change, the green energies, the boilers the, the changing, and all these actions we are, we are working on. But at the same time, again, these all work against profitability. These, and if you look at in the short term way, that hurt the, the financial sheet because you are having more expense, you are investing more. But I think if we look at things at long term, it would be more like positive rather than negative. We feel that that is all worth. But of course, we are not listed company. We are not public listed company. The way that is it is just, you can say it in, in, to make us uh, sleep better at night.
1: <laughs> like because you're a privately owned company, your investors are willing to take more of a long-term view.
2: Yeah, I think it's more than investor, exactly the owners of the company. So, um as we work? as join as um the, the core team as well, we agree with the the certain directions because um the owners they are the actually the owners they have their own own factories we have our own factories' own land, so we treat them as our own people our own family so how would you do it with your own family so you of course we we give the best for them, so it's not about a short-term interest and then we are going to to leave at the second it's not a transactional behavior it is like continuous investment continuous. Mm. um i mean it's contributing to country the people and and some of the workers they work more like uh 15 years right here so how do you see them you see them as a as a, as a family so um uh, we have also a, a long-term history in in the country as well. So the key, the key for us, it is how fast we want to do it, right? If you cannot survive, you can't mm. invest further, right? So now it is a very different moment. So I mean, just to to go a little bit further for with the directions under pandemic, under a lot of um, different issues happening in the world right around, we are under under the mode of surviving. And, but that doesn't mean that we have to do something negative. But my problem remains is the the speed, the accelerations to a sustainable manufacturing give be a little bit slower because it just does require significant investment. So you have to make the numbers right. And then you can last longer. And then to do the right things in the future.
0: The more we do this podcast uh, with more and more people we interviewed, I found that the hope of sustainability seems really in the private-owned business, private-owned company. The best is a family-owned textile companies. Not The hope of sustainability is not on the companies, let's say, in the stock market, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. If they are in stock markets, they have this, uh, but when the business is owned by individual, by a family or by the individual, the owner, it's easier to make a lot of good choices as seems naturally. They tend to see everything as a long-term investment and employees more like, as you said, Herman families or more more being seen as um, assets, not like a liability. This is a very different mindset.
2: (laughs) Thank you. But it could be very different from companies to company. Because private company, basically, they're they're private.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, I mean, there are privately owned companies out there in the fashion industry who are not taking a long-term view. So I'm not sure the message is necessarily that, like, being privately owned solves everything. But I think it's more like it offers more space for the imagination as to how we're going to define obligations to shareholders and whether it's possible to take sort of a broader understanding and a more long-term understanding of what that means.
2: If we want short-term results, okay, no problem, we got profit this year. But we're not going to see this probability sustain in a few years later. But try to think about some of the company, Mm. um, the the chief staff level. They might just hang on one or two years. They give beautiful results, got the bonus, gone, right? But I'm not gone. I've been with the company 12 years already. So what I'm looking for is a long-term result. It's a good relationship, industrial relationship with my workers, with my unions. It is a continuous profitability, but not a huge sudden um, bonus like a um, lucky jackpot from somebody else. So it is a yeah. step-by-step for, to, to, to doing that, yeah.
1: And Herman, when I hear you describe about, you know, what you say about effectively the pace of change and that the pandemic has maybe put the brakes on transitions towards more sustainable options because right now understandably you're you're focused on just remaining alive (laughs) remaining in existence and I can't help but have like you know the activist critic in the back of my head who or in my ear who is saying things like yeah but if we do that well you might you know we might survive financially but the planet will be on fire you know we'll have nowhere to live and As I sort of respond to that inner activist whispering into my ear, my response is sort of like, but this is why we have to talk about distribution of risk and reward, because manufacturers and by extension workers are getting such a small slice of the pie. And yet a lot of these investments that have to be made at the level of production, and again, The bulk of the industry's social and environmental impact is in production, and we can include some links with some statistics on this, but that's where the impact is, and that's where the bulk of the investment needs to happen, and guess who's making those investments? It's the manufacturers who already have such a narrow and small slice of the pie, and so like the reason I think like now when you talk about pandemic and sort of decelerating the rate of change, like, this is a big part of it. It's because the people who were effectively investing in the new technology, buying the new, you know, machines to put on the production floor, were so cash strapped to begin with, because they were the ones fronting all of the costs of production six to nine months before they ever saw any payment for it. And so... (laughs) when I sort of have this inner dialogue with the activist in my head, I'm just like, yes, you know, the planet being on fire is not a good thing either. We cannot prioritize financial health over everything else, but we have to look at why, you know, people are in the position that they have to make those choices in the sort of wider context. It's not as simple as profits are evil. It's about distribution of wealth, distribution of, of risk and reward and and that's what i wish the conversation was about i've been thinking a lot about like what you kind of say reminds me of something that one of our other guests talked about which was and i don't even think he talked about it on the actual show but in one of the conversations we had leading up to the show but he basically was talking about the importance of incremental change and yeah. you know How basically, you know, his point was that incremental change is sort of a lot easier to uh, manage in a sense. It's a lot because like if you go wrong, you can sort of correct path immediately and then take a slightly different direction. And I know that for, like, the activist in me, it feels like, ah, oh, but it's never enough. We need, like, total revolution. We need to totally change disruptive. the system. But then I think about disruptive, yeah. But then I think about even in my own life on a very personal level, in my own professional experiences, I mean, change is incremental. I mean, when I was a factory manager, yeah. like, my day, day-to-day I didn't feel like things were changing or like things were improving, but it was only when I said, okay, if I compare to where we are are now to where we were six months ago or where we were a year ago, then you see it. But in the day-to-day, you don't really feel it.
2: Yeah, yeah, very, very good point right here. Incremental change, step-by-step. It's not only easier, not only easier, but it requires the resilience, requires your patience, and if try to look at like investment. If you have suddenly one hundred percent return of a stock, you're gonna sell it off and goes away. But it's just one time. But look at it if this stock give you every year five percent, if you accumulate it for 20 years, then how much return you are giving is more than that only one time a hundred percent. And the second thing that also reminds me Last week, I met uh, um, the president of HKUSD. So we have some uh, deep discussion about exactly sustainability. That he also exactly suggests incremental investment for sustainability. For example, if you want to invest a, a solar, oh. but but the problem is, you if you want to find a an investor to bring in the huge capital to do it and then okay we are green manufacturing that is very difficult because if you have that kind of big capital in your hand you might looking not looking for three four percent return for a year no you're looking for more but if you're looking for you put it in a smaller scale of investment like solar and people started to see this reducing the carbon footprints and giving us nice return, like 4 or 5%. And more and more, you will attract more and more um, investor or more and more noises from the industry and building up the image, building up all these positive things that give you space to further more develop in the future. So you're exactly right. Incremental change, that helps us to build um, a more solid fundamental for whatever you want to do it. Yeah.
1: But, but then what I have to bring up, and it's actually something that you've said before that I've heard you say is, you know, we have to talk about the fact that prices are deflationary in this industry. And the fact that, you know, growth yeah. and price indices indexes are not proportional. I mean, like to give a very simple example for people who listeners who might not be that familiar. I mean, in Cambodia, I know that the volume of exports is growing a lot faster. It is growing very quickly while the price paid per piece and and we'll put research that, that shows this in the, in the show notes, but the while the price per piece paid per piece to suppliers continues to decrease. So we're producing more and more stuff. In other words, For lower and lower prices. And so on the one hand, we're talking about incremental change and sort of step by step. But if we zoom out, what we also see is that on a macro level, you know, the sector is growing, but at the same time, it's getting tougher and tougher to be a manufacturer, meaning it's tougher and tougher to be able to prioritize or to find ways to finance the huge capital investments that are required to really transform the environmental impact that the industry has.
2: Yeah, the deflationary cycle happen. I, I would say it's exactly true. But it is not only in the garment manufacturing. Try to think about the electronic consumer products as well. Try to think about all the consumables we're having. Um, we are all experiencing this deflationary uh, cycle as right here. Try to think about the iPhone 4, how much costing when it comes out. But now I'm paying as the iPhone 12, 13, I don't know. (laughs) So it's even cheaper, but the functions (laughs) are much more powerful. Isn't it? So um, I would say that the market is unforgiving. That is exactly a free market. Capitalism, what we are experiencing. This is low socialism, right? So that means what? How we can break through this um, deflationary cycle? How Apple, Samsung, they still can survive, providing with a a cheaper um, sales price, but with a much more power functions. But their their stock price value is is becoming more and more, more and more. Who is playing these magics? What is happening? I would say um, we have to think about the market, to the behavior and the consumers. Just like if you can buy the same thing, the T-shirt. If I am a buyer, I buy. Uh, if I consumer, I mean, like, and consumers. I, I, I went to retailer shops. I can buy a T-shirt for five dollars. It is just same cotton T-shirt. Would you really pay some? maybe some penny more or $2 more with the same t-shirt next year because of inflation. No, you won't. You probably pay the same price or even the lower price. That is the mentality. That is the economy of scale that giving uh, uh, the products in mass productions that bringing each of the costs down for that. So the problem, what is happening right here, it is the value the value of the manufacturer, do they, do they add value to to the products and let the consumers pay the value that they want to add? So the value I'm talking about could be a sustainable story, could be a recycled material, could be um, um, a more function fabrics, a performance fabrics. So probably this value adding into the products, you are going to Break through this deflationary cycle. You're going to increase the value of the products. So I would say that deflationary cycle. It is um, what is really happening. You are not going to pay the same price to buy a probably a Nokia analog phone again. No, but that is the the big uh, wheel of history is rolling, rolling around, and then. If we don't want to lag behind, we have to give new values to the products. And this is the market. This is capitalism. There's no one to, to left to blame. And I, that is uh, my belief. Yeah.
0: Um, as you know, um, we already have and could have more high-tech fabrics and then produce some smarter clothes with more technical functions. But I think a brighter future for most of the garment manufacturers may not lie in rose high-tech fabric and clothes, but the added value is situated on something else. Maybe it's quick response in data supply chain, like uh, what we discussed in episode 25 and 26. Or maybe it's a unique flexibility a manufacturer could provide to its client. But yeah, I think that is probably the future. Yeah. Otherwise, as Kim mentioned, the reality is uh, the more pieces we export, the lower prices we sold. So the more we make, the poorer we were, unless we can find a way to add some values. Thank you for listening to
1: Manufactured. To learn more about our guests and the issues we've chatted about today, sign up for our weekly newsletter on our website, www.manufacturedpodcast.com or find us on
0: Instagram at manufactured We'd also love to hear your stories and what you think. Collecting with this nursing is the most rewarding part of what we do, so please don't be shy.
1: To be the first to find out about new episodes, subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. We'd also love it if you left us a review. Leaving a review helps other people find our show. And finally, if you'd like to support us financially, you can make a Patreon donation via our
0: website homepage. Thanks for listening, and see you next week.